Next week on Follow Friday will be our season finale. I'm going to have more to say about everything then, but FYI, our Patreon supporters will still get exclusive bonus follow recommendations from these last two guests. So if you want in on that, you can still pledge a dollar or more at patreon.com slash follow Friday. At the end of the month, I will pause the Patreon page, which means you only have a limited time to unlock dozens of bonus follow recommendations from the amazing folks who have been on this show. And one more bit of business. I'm joining in with a group of hundreds of podcasters and sharing this important message. On June 24th, the Supreme Court decided to overturn Roe v. Wade and stripped away the legal right to have a safe and legal abortion in the U.S. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. And this decision could also lead to the loss of other rights. To learn more about what you can do to help, please go to podvoices.help. I encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. Okay, here's the show. Today is a good day to meet some new friends. Everyone make a way. The show is a buffet. Of course you should know. Let's have a swirl. Well, that's enough for a place. I'm Eric Johnson. Welcome to Follow Friday, the podcast about who you should follow online. Every week, I talk to creative people about who they follow and why. This is a guided tour to the best people on the internet, led by your favorite writers, podcasters, comedians, and more. If this is your first episode of the show, take a moment now and please follow or subscribe in your podcast app. Today on the show is Roman Mars, the creator and host of the podcast 99% Invisible. It's a show about all the things designers and architects and planners see that the rest of us completely miss. Roman is also the author of a spin-off book, The 99% Invisible City, with his digital director, Kurt Kolstedt. You can find Roman on Twitter, at Roman Mars, and at the Roman Mars on Instagram. Roman, welcome to Follow Friday. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so good to see you again, and I'm so happy to to hear your voice again. I mean, you've been, I mean, I was literally just listening to 99PI earlier today, but, you, you know, it's a different deal. <laughs> you've been making this show for more than a decade now, uh, and I wondered if I should even bother explaining what 99% Invisible is. It feels like everyone in my bubble listens to it. I mean, everyone in your bubble might, but not everyone who should listen to it does listen to it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah, you've been, you've been making this for a long time. It, it has become this really huge, iconic podcast. But I'm wondering, when did you know that the show was actually working? Was there a turning point where you realized like, oh, this is turning from a side project or, or a, an idea into a real career for me? Well, the truth is I knew it was working from the moment I started it. There was something about the combination of like what I wanted to do, what that moment felt like, how my writing was developing, how my hosting was developing that I was like, I think this is the one I'm going to put my chips on pretty early on. That didn't mean it was going to be successful. It just was the one that I felt like I could ask my friends to promote without shame. <laughs> it was the ones that I could, you know, 
present in front of people and had some degree of pride in. Like there was just something about it where I was, I was kind of knew it was working early on, which which made me work really hard on it enough to turn it into the thing where it where it became possible to make some money on it, hire some people. The real turning point was it was struggling for sponsors. It was really early in the development of podcasting as an industry. And I did this Kickstarter for what was what I called season three. It never had seasons. It just like Kickstarter didn't allow you to just like have a project that was open ended. So you had to have like a beginning and an end. And so I called it season three. We ended up raising the amount I was looking for inside of 24 hours. And then I was like, well, I think this is going to work. And then and then the public radio world, like no public radio show had bypassed the public radio system to raise money directly from an audience. And so it sort of got them going. And I started getting calls from public radio people that I knew and because I came up in public radio about, OK, maybe maybe we would do this. And maybe, we, you know, like in that was a moment where I knew things were really changing and then it just sort of it just grew and grew from there we did a couple more kickstarters and then we founded radiotopia and then by the time of radiotopia i didn't have another job but it took a long time before i didn't have another job even though Wait, so when was that that would have been like 2014 ish or <laughs> i don't know <laughs> that sounds roughly right <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, I was just, I was rewatching uh, your your TED talk from 2015 about um, all of the flags of major cities and why most of them are terrible. terrible. Uh, <laughs> that was a that was a big turning point moment. That one felt like a big deal. I, that whole period of time was when I knew that 99 percent invisible was going to be the major focus of the next like few years of my life, and and it felt pretty good. And I I knew I could have employees and responsibly pay them you know and, and things like that w- 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 that was that was kind of the moment that was happening and that was when it felt pretty good so a lot of the podcast you know you take on topics that are generally in the visual and physical world so flags buildings urban planning things like that um there's some exceptions to that rule but i'm wondering given that this is an internet culture show are those same principles of design that you explore on 99 invisible do you find that those are applicable when you're looking at digital stuff, when you're looking at social media apps and mobile games and things like that? Or is it so such a different discipline that it doesn't quite translate? I think it does. I mean, I think the thing about design as a beat and as a lens that the show has is that what makes it work for people is that you don't have to be really interested in the specifics of design for it to work. It's basically like a logic show, you know, about like how you solve problems and and what makes you feel good when you listen to things that are about problem solving and how, you know, people find solutions to things is when you can kind of join them in the process of like, oh yeah, that is a good solution and you understand why and you feel really good about it. And that kind of intuitive sense of what design is and how it would work and how it would solve problems and how the world would be better if, if people thought out their problems a little bit more and solve them with good design and good thinking and good care is very satisfying because it is so logical because it does actually apply to so many things i mean the ted talk that you mentioned when i was approached about doing a ted talk it's a little different for someone like me i'm not like a plant scientist who's been working on one thing their whole career you know i'm a journalist who's done you know I do 50 stories a year, you know, I don't have a area of expertise or a specialty of any one thing. I mean, design is kind of it, but it's not any one thing. And so when I started to think about what I was going to do for the talk, I, I kind of had this grand unified 
idea of design with lots of little stories and it, it had, a, uh, you know, a vague structure. It was kind of working. I think I was trying to impart my way of viewing the world, but it just wasn't working. Like I didn't enjoy it. Compressing that down into 20 minutes is like, that's a bit too much. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it was just like, I don't know. It just was not good. It wasn't good. And I make things that, you know, like I try to make them good. You know, <laughs> so, so I told him, I was like, you know, this isn't really working for me, but I have this talk that I would like to expand and think about about flags because I think this little topic will lead me to like impart bigger ideas of design about what makes a good flag. They can kind of apply to what makes a good app, what makes a good logo, what makes a good you know, government design. It, there's a lot of things to it that kind of work and apply. And by going smaller, I achieved going bigger. And so that's why I think that the show kind of works. I mean, we kind of zero in, we try to let people make their you know connections to things. And I do think it's generally applicable. And, you know, in the beginning, it's really important to have enough of a focus that people can kind of like find the show and grab onto it. And oh, like I like design. I'm a, in the beginning of the show. The most I heard was for graphic designers from Ireland. Like it just was like that. They just found the show faster. And and you have to have a little bit of a focus to have that happen in, in the Internet culture world, you know. But from this point, it's basically a show about trying to explain what the, how the world is. And I think it applies to everything. I think it makes me think the perfect episode of the show is one in which I tell you about a thing about, you know, manhole covers or whatever. And because of that, you do notice manhole covers. But from then on out, you like if you see a utility cover, you can kind of decipher that one. And if there's you know, a building that's, you know, done a certain way, you can kind of decode that. Like it just primes your brain for decoding the world in a certain way. And in that sense, I think it's a very, very general interest show in that regard. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's decode some of the people who Roman Morris follows online. You can follow <laughs> along with us today. Every person he recommends will be linked in the show notes and in the transcript at followfridaypodcast.com slash Roman Mars. It's Final Friday. Roman, before the show, I gave you a list of categories, and I asked you to tell me about some people you follow who fit in those categories. Your first pick is in the category, someone super talented who is still under the radar, and you said Elizabeth Joe, who is on Twitter <laughs> at Elizabeth underscore Joe, and Joe is spelled J-O-H. Elizabeth is a law professor at UC Davis and the co-host of What Roman Mars Can Learn About Con Law, which she hosts with uh, someone named, uh, I'm blanking on his name. He tells us about his podcast, and, and it used to have a different title, right? It did. So Elizabeth is kind of the smartest person I know, and this whole show exists because of her Twitter, which is why I thought of this first when you put underrated, because in my opinion, she can't be rated high enough, you know? So when Trump was elected, the original name of the show was what Trump can teach us about con law, which was like, I was looking for a name so big, like 99% Invisible is so evocative and kind of mysterious and like, what does it mean? What is the show is about? You know, like, but it feels something and I wanted something very straightforward and cumbersome and not catchy and whatever. And so, but when Trump got elected, I kind of, there was so much talk about like, Okay, they're doing the Muslim ban. What can the is the Muslim ban constitutional? Is it doing this? Is like emoluments? Emoluments like no one has heard of emoluments before, which is basically taking bribes, you know. And what does that mean? Where is that in the Constitution? Is he breaking that? And there was this sense that Trump was stress testing the Constitution in a certain way, but I didn't know anything about the Constitution. I didn't know like how when people were talking about it online, I 
you know, like I was like, yeah, you're right. He can't do that. And I was like, actually, I don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) And so Elizabeth at that time was a fellow parent at uh, elementary school that our, our kids went to school together. I followed her on Twitter. She's so funny. She's so smart. She teaches con law 101 and a lot of other law at, at UC Davis. And I wanted to create a show where she told me whether or not the things that Trump said on Twitter, because at the time he was on Twitter, or other people said about you know how he was breaking or, you know, the law. I wanted her to tell me if that was true or not. <laughs> like I just needed someone as a guide. And when you're a broadcaster, you know, you don't have a conversation you can't use as content. And I kind of was like, I was like, here, just, I, I wrote her kind of out of the blue. We'd known each other a little bit, but it was still, and I just said like, you know, I don't want to talk about the controversy necessarily or Trump. I don't, I don't want to hear Trump's voice. I don't want to, I want to use these moments to teach me about the constitution and get very quickly into the Supreme court cases that, you know, established the precedent that established the interpretation that we build upon and, and, and how we make a functioning uh, government and a set of laws. And so like, that's the show and the show was great. And I've done it now for five years or something. And we changed the name to what Roman Mars can learn about con law when Trump was no longer on Twitter and no longer the president. And I wanted to keep it like evergreen, but I, there were still things to talk about. And there's still a ton of things. We talk about the second amendment. We talk about Ginny Thomas and, you know, Clarence Thomas's recu- recusal, you know, like why he, he won't recuse himself, why no one can force him to recuse himself. If, if, even if it involves his wife, you know, things like this, we talk about, but she's so good at, you know, like a Supreme court case, the decision gets released. She's just on top of it. She's funny. You know, she has the same sort of Gen X sensibility that I do. She has the same sort of reference points that I do. And I just love to follow her. And I'm, I, to me, it's like everyone who's interested in politics in the world should follow her. She's also really good about, you know, like her specialty is on like privacy and surveillance and technology. Yeah. And so if you have any interest in that, she writes articles about that all the time. So what's an example of something that she has taught you about digital privacy that has I don't know, blown your mind, changed your perspective on things? I mean, the main thing is the, the, the broadest thing is that the technology and the use of the technology is so far in advance of policy thinking that the policy is being decided by designers. So like, you know, we talk about like, I don't know, body cams on police or something like that. What gets determined as to what gets admissible into court has not, no one's ever thought about it. No one, you know, no one thought about it in a holistic way. What is determining it is the company has the thing pre-roll for 20 seconds before you hit record. And then therefore it's there. That decision was made by a designer at some point. It's available. Is it admissible in court? Whatever. But it's like, that is available because a designer made that decision, not because some kind of global police policy, not that there would be all the many global police policies, it's basically like a collection of 18,000 different institutions when it comes to the police. But, but still, the technology and the design of it is really leading the conversation before the policy because people, A, aren't fast enough and B, aren't smart enough, you know, and that's the kind of thing that sort of blows my mind, like the fundamentals of how we think of how to use this stuff is really being determined by companies and not by people that have the public interest necessarily at heart. And so that's fundamental to when it comes to digital privacy. So with issues like this, both with digital privacy and with all the other political issues you were talking about, obviously, in my opinion, understanding these things better, having that knowledge, I think it gives, at least for me, it gives me the, the confidence to go out and have smarter conversations. It generally makes me happier or more, you know, in control in in some way. But, you you know, 
you started this podcast at a politically fraught time. I think mm-hmm. we are still, I think it's safe to say, still in a very politically fraught time. Has has working with Elizabeth on this podcast, has it changed your, your outlook on the future? Like, has, has it had a big impact on just how you perceive the nation? I think it has. I mean, I didn't quite, like, you had a feeling that Trump and his ilk were changing things in a, in a way that was really different and realizing that the guardrails on behavior are just traditional norms and practices because the constitution is a very slim document that is by design somewhat incomplete and up for interpretation in lots of different ways you know it's a 5000 word document and so like everything about the way that people you know, comport themselves has to do with their own sort of compunction or lack of compunction. And that is a terrifying thing to realize, but it's good to like know that that's what's happening. You know, so like I feel somewhat forearmed and therefore forewarned when it comes to stuff with Elizabeth, but I also like, I guess the part of the design that I like is that we're kind of on a continuum all the time and like people are very solipsistic about the way the world should be and it's when they were born or become more sentient and they think that's the way the world should work and anything beyond that change is a is a mistake. The way that we've seen the constitution interpreted over time and the different norms and stuff to see that flow is actually pretty interesting and makes you think like okay we can flow we can continue to flow in good directions and bad directions. And so that's the comforting part of it. It was always a discussion. It was always, there was always strange things afoot. And so it fits in there nicely. The part that's not comforting is like, once you learn that you can break these things by just not having shame, that is an alarming thing. And I think people will use it now and forevermore into maybe the detriment of democracy (laughs) or the end of democracy. Well, that was Elizabeth Joe, who is on Twitter at Elizabeth underscore Joe, and the podcast is called What Roman Mars Can Learn About Con Law. It's Final Friday. Roman, let's move on to your next follow. I asked you for someone you're jealous of, and you said John Green, who is on Twitter <laughs> at John Green, on Instagram at John Green Writes Books, and on TikTok at literally John Green. Yeah. I think literally John Green is the only place that he's really active, although he yeah. does delete it a lot. John and his brother Hank are known as the Vlog Brothers on YouTube, and they host the podcast Dear Hank and John. But John is probably best known for writing books like The Fault in Our Stars and for his solo podcast, The Anthropocene Reviewed. So how do you start following him, and why do you say you're jealous? I'm just jealous of John. I mean, you'd, you'd ask a couple, like, jealous of and who you'd want to be more friends with or be right. friends with. And John kind of fits both of those things because he and I, and, and we are friendly, like, we'll email and if there's an event and we're in the same place, we'll chit-chat for a little bit and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But um, he just is so good <laughs> at, <clears throat> especially... You know, like, I knew his fiction writing was good. You can tell it's good. It affects a lot of people and makes a lot of people, gives a lot of people comfort and makes people feel good. Um, But when he got into doing, like, Anthropocene Reviewed and and his work with the Crash Course um, explainers and history, he just is so smart and thoughtful in a way that is enough reminiscent of what I do that I recognize how good he is at it and how much better he has at it than, than <laughs> me. That, that That's the part of it that I, I mean, especially Anthropocene Reviewed, which is a book that he did a podcast about it and he and I chatted about it and I featured it on 99. And then he came out with a book on it. And it's just like, 
to me that that book is like a perfect book. It's so it's so good and thoughtful. The way that he kind of uses these mundane objects and rates them on a five star scale to talk about himself and his life and his point of view. And he has a very humanist and kind point of view. It, it is just so thoughtful. He is um, really warm and he really grapples with things and just has deep thoughts. And I, I just like I think I approach that every once in a while. There's this, there's this really kind of funny moment that I had in production. I, I did the architecture tour for the Guggenheim Museum and I released it as an episode of the show uh, eventually, but I wrote this line literally thinking like, this is a John Green line. And it was something like, so Frank Lloyd Wright is the architect of the Guggenheim and Frank Lloyd Wright at, a few years before had been eight of Frank Lloyd Wright's buildings and commissions had been accepted as UNESCO heritage sites. And other UNESCO heritage sites are things like the Grand Canyon, you know, like, and I'm, I made this line. It was like, of all the UNESCO heritage sites in North America, 12 were made by God, eight were made by Frank Lloyd Wright. And <laughs> I wrote that literally thinking, this is a thing John Green would write. Like, I literally just copying his style. Okay. And you know, and we don't write a lot, but we exchange emails every once in a while. And he literally wrote me about that line and said, I really love that line. <laughs> and I, don't think he, I don't think he loved it because it was like him. But I just think like we were just tapping into the same thing that we both admire the way to describe something. And it was just, this is a great moment. And I, But he has one of those, like literally every page of his writing and, you know, every minute of his work in podcasting. And, and I'm lucky to have like, you know, a few a year, you know, so... <laughs> <laughs> his podcast that you mentioned, The Anthropocene Reviewed, he's reviewing, as he said, like sort of these mundane things. I think the very first episode was Diet Dr. Pepper and Canada Geese. No. Uh, <laughs> and it's a very transparent head fake. Each each review is sort of like it's an excuse to talk about something else. Totally. Um, <laughs> generally the existence and other yeah. small topics like that. Totally. It's one of those shows where I have vivid memories of like, I was in this spot when I was listening to this podcast. He has a turn of phrase like that, like the example you gave from your own writing, where it just stops you in your tracks and you just, you remember, oh, I was in the kitchen when I heard him talking about ginkgo trees and (laughs) about about his daughter and all all this stuff. And I just like, that's that's such an impressive skill. I I cannot even get my head around that. Yeah, no, he's so good. It's it's irritating. He's so good, but but he's also super nice and stuff. Like he has lots of things going for him. Yeah, and so, and and he's one of those people that, and I think that he evokes this feeling in a lot of people that you feel like I would like to be around him more. You know, like I, you know, in his head, in in his thoughts, and so if there's any opportunity where I'm in the world and. I could like hang out with John Green. I would totally take that opportunity. We we we've only availed ourselves of that like a couple times in our lives. But I I really do like and admire him quite a bit. Yeah. So okay, you you mentioned earlier with with Elizabeth that you know there's no there's no conversation that you don't turn into a, a podcast <laughs> or something like That's, that. Yes. But let, let's imagine you and John are going on a friend date, and the rule is. No TikTok videos, no tweeting about it, no podcasting. You you have to just enjoy each other's each other's presence. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what do you want to do? Do you do you want to go somewhere with him? Do you want to talk about something in particular with him over coffee? Yeah, I mean, so that that thing I said about turning every experience into content is like a thing that I'm actually really endeavoring to get away from, and, and I and I have actually like in the past year, it's like been really the focus of my time is actually not 
having every thought be on social media and making everything into something. So it's actually getting kind of easy for me. I don't know. He takes a, a stupid walk that he hates for his stupid mental health is what he, he often says when he's doing <laughs> his TikToks. I think just a going on a walk in a, in a, in a, in a woods with him in Indianapolis seems like a perfectly great thing to do. And, you know, maybe we would notice things and try to impress each other with our knowledge of the trees. But I think mostly what I like about connecting for real with people is not performing, you know, and, you know, and I spend a lot of time performing and he, he just seems like someone you could fall into without performing and have it be perfectly great, you know? So yeah, I would do anything with him. <laughs> it seems fun. I'm not a big TikTok user, so I was looking at his TikTok for the first time while prepping for this. And it does seem, again, this is still performing, yeah. but the way he uses TikTok, it, I think it speaks well of him. There's no fancy editing. There's no filters. He's just kind of answering questions and kind of doing the best he can. It's, 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 very, it's very earnest in a way that, that I admire and that, that I really respect. Yeah. I mean, he's old hat at this with the Vlogbrothers that started his YouTube life with his brother, Hank, who also is someone I totally dig and admire and like to talk to. There's a casualness that they've just for people that have basically doing the, done this for 15 years. They just know yeah. how to be in front of the camera and not be self-conscious and really present a, a version of themselves. I, I, I'm, I'm enough of a performer and broadcaster to know that everyone's projecting something, you know, when they do that. But they figured it out. Well, that was John Green, who is on Twitter at John Green, on Instagram at John Green Writes Books, and on TikTok at Literally John Green. We are going to take a quick break now, but we'll be back in a minute with Roman Mars. Even though Americans overwhelmingly support the right of an individual to make their own decisions about abortion, unfortunately, that right is no longer protected everywhere in the U.S. Abortion is a basic health care need for the millions of people who can become pregnant. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. The decision to overturn Roe v. Wade has dire consequences for individual health and safety. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. Even if you live in a state where abortion rights are upheld, access to safe medical procedures should not be determined by location, and it shouldn't be the privilege of a small few. You can help by donating to local abortion funds, and to find out where to donate for each state, visit donationsforabortion.com. That's donations, then the number four, abortion.com. For more resources, visit podvoices.help. I encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. It's Follow Friday. Welcome back to Follow Friday. Roman, I asked you to tell me about an expert in a very specific niche you love, and you sent over three great recommendations from TikTok. At Stellar Sidewalks, at Texas Bee Works, and at Right Choice Shearing. You said in your email that all three of these accounts are examples of the main thing that you use social media for. Do you want to explain what that thing is? <laughs> yeah, I like watching competent people do things well and calmly. And it is the main way I relax. It is probably second to podcast. It's the main form of entertainment that I sort of take part in. I Right Choice Shearing is this really great woman who picks up gigantic sheep and shears <laughs> and shows you how it's done and how to take care of them 
Texas Bee Works is this woman who like, you know, that if there's if you have a colony of bees that sort of is like infesting your eaves of your house, she'll come in, she'll scoop them up with her hand. They never sting her. That she puts them in a hive. She takes the queen out. She has a really calm voice. I, I just love it. It's almost hard to explain what this does to my brain that I need so badly. And so I literally, this is what most of social media is for me, is me taking part in that. Like not me contributing to it, but me taking part of it. Um, I, I just love it. <laughs> but I, I wonder if part of it is what you were saying earlier about uh, about your TED Talk, where you know you as a broadcaster and as a journalist, you learn about all these different things. It's a huge number of different things. And seeing someone who's an expert in exactly one or two <laughs> things and they're they're so good at those things i mean this is really the 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 er example of an expert in a a niche you love right yeah i wonder if that's what what's reassuring or what's comforting about it I, i think it could be that i also just think it's like there's like movement and calm and care and you know like if there's someone if you if there's a video of a farrier reshoeing a horse i'm i'm there i just stop and watch it like i just like it and, you know, there's a whole phenomenon of, of, you know, ASMR and things that are like calming for people. The sort of intentional world of ASMR is not exactly the one I, I'm familiar with it, where people like mm-hmm. to whisper and click things into microphones and stuff like that. That's totally good in, in lots of different ways. But I just, this is mine. This is my version of that. I, I, I can tell when people talk about that, that that's what this means to me. And it's just lovely i learn a little something but mostly it just chills my ass out and i uh, i just like the the feeling of it and i like that fact that there's a community of people that this really does it for them and it, it you, you feel a kind of kinship with that that's the social aspect of it i suppose but i i truly love it yeah stellar sidewalks out of these three is probably the most 99 percenty um it's it's a guy going around the sidewalks of la and explaining like here's how these are poured here's why you would have this sidewalk versus another when it comes to concrete there are a lot of different types of finishes one i talk about often is broom finish it's one of the most common the question i get a lot is what exactly is broom finish obviously it has something to do with a broom but more specifically what is it How is it applied? What does it look like? Does it have a particular function? Are there different types of broom finish? When should you use it and when shouldn't you use it? Is it expensive? All great questions. Let's tackle them quickly. Have you invited him to come on the podcast? It feels (laughs) like you guys are are natural, your bosom buddies, you know? (laughs) TikTok's pretty new for me. I had tried it because I was trying to figure it out as a conduit for 99PI in the process of like how we tell stories and if it would fit. And I do think it it really would actually. And so I just started subscribing to anyone who I could find like infrastructure and architecture or whatever. And, um, stellar sidewalks came up and they pour concrete for sidewalks. They tell you about, you know, the different, the breaking joints and this and that. And it's just, you know, it's well done. It's smart. It, you know, tells you the difference between concrete and cement. And yeah, I mean, that person, that type of person could, could be on the show for sure. <laughs> Part of it's really, it really works like with the visuals. And I always have to figure out a way to, to not make it about the visuals and make it more about story. But yeah, I mean, I, I take those people that know a lot and I, I definitely glom off of them. That's for sure. I'm hesitant to bring this up, but I, I was when I was looking up Texas Bee Works. Apparently, there was a whole drama in the TikTok beekeeping community last year. Are you, are you aware of this? <laughs> not at all. <laughs> <laughs> there were, there were some, some, 
rival beekeeper was was strafing her with with like you know complaints about like oh well you're not wearing the proper protective gear or you're you're rescuing the wrong type of bees and i don't i'm not i don't actually care about the drama but i am a little bit delighted by the fact that there are rival people in these in these <laughs> niches that there are people who who yeah. are also public influencer broadcaster social media type folks who are who are you know, <laughs> challenging each other on the best way to do these specific things. <laughs> um, totally. In my years in academia, it's like the, I don't know, the vitriol is so high is because the stakes are so low. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of, it happens that way. It's, it, it's, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, that's one of the things about these things that's always, or it could be hard is that I don't really pursue these people beyond the most basic <laughs> form i don't know what they're like i don't know in this case i don't know the politics i you know i just sort of like like watching them uh calmly do things i i think that's the way to go about it i i honestly <laughs> i don't need to know who everyone i follow voted for just try and be kind just you know yeah. try not to get yeah. stung by bees you know just take care of yourself <laughs> I, i'm not i'm the texas bee woman i'm not worried about her being stung by bees she seems yeah, to have fine. a complete control over them so. <laughs> Well, those were three great TikTok accounts run by competent people calmly doing things well. <laughs> at Stellar Sidewalks, at Texas Bee Works, and at Right Choice Shearing. It's Final Friday. We have time for one more follow today. This is another expert in a niche, sort of. It's the subreddit Oddly Satisfying, which you can find at reddit.com slash r slash oddly satisfying. This is one of my favorite subreddits, too. Okay. But for the people who have not heard the good news, <laughs> explain what sort of stuff, this is going to be very visual, we will, we will have to do our best, explain the sort of stuff that you might see on Oddly Satisfying. I mean, this is kind of related to the above. Like, if somebody is reshoeing a horse very competently, that'll be there. If something is like pounding mochi or something like that, like in a traditional way, very, very quickly, that'll be there. And then there, there's a lot of like physics thing like i don't know like the shaking of i don't know nails and have them like line up perfectly it is just something about i don't know if do you have any example i'm trying to think of what's good or example of what oddly satisfying does well there was one i was i was just looking at it today there's one of records being pressed so they, they it was it was like a vinyl record with yeah. uh, a custom design so not like a basic black vinyl record but like a really cool pattern and it starts off with this green putty-looking material. I don't know exactly what it is. I guess it must it's be vinyl. vinyl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and they just put it into a press and they squeeze it incredibly flat and they pull it out and it's this beautiful semi-translucent green and black disc and it just it looks like magic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like if you ever have seen the show like how is it made or something like that. Like a lot of like factory kind of like something made really well and you see the intricacy of how to create this simple thing and the satisfaction with it with its creation there's a lot of stuff there that's that's really really good there could be something of like brushing a horse and getting all like the loose hair off i mean it just is this grab bag of videos that are meant to like the world order being created in the world or something like that you know and um 
And it is just oddly satisfying. And there's like stuff that you would have never heard of and you just see it happen. And it, it sort of like lights up your pleasure centers in some way. And it's a great, it's another form of the same thing that I'm searching for about the niche competent people mm-hmm. with, um, you know, with a little more scattershot approach, I think. When do you watch videos like this? Is like, is this something that you discover just scrolling a bunch of subreddits or do you go specifically to oddly satisfying and to see what's new there? I go to Reddit, if oddly satisfying is present on the front page because of what I subscribe to, which isn't that many things, mm-hmm. you know, I check it out there. I don't really dive deep with most of this stuff, I would say. It's just like, it's what comes to my attention. And because like TikTok, for example, like learns you pretty quickly, it begins to sort of feed you other things like that. I don't use the internet as much of a as a time-wasting device as I've heard other people so like it, it just so happens like I monitor or at least I used to kind of monitor these things because like 9MPI has a subreddit, you know, like I, I, I use Twitter mo- mostly for promotion and the random jokes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so you know, when things come up like that, the TikTok thing is sort of brand new and it's really an idle time, like maybe before bed or something like that, trying to calm down. But that's it. Yeah. So there's something about all these satisfying uh, this is going to be a weird question. Mm-hmm. So th- there was a time, a long time ago, when, when Reddit was really into what I would call safe for work porn. So there, there'd be these these communities like uh, Earth Porn, where it's just amazing landscape photography. <laughs> okay. I think there's something a little bit porny about oddly satisfying, and I don't, I don't mean that in any judgmental way. But do, do you agree? Like, I think there's something. I can't quite put my finger on it. There, there, there there's something um, a little bit abstracted or, or or a little bit like other I, I i'm having trouble putting, putting the word well, to it i think you're chasing a kind of high and satisfaction yes which i get and the feeling you get from it being new versus and i don't know there there's there was a there's a this american life radio story about asmr which was it drew very similar comparisons where where this woman is like, no, it's not porn. It's just this thing that I have to search out online so I can get this feeling of having my brain kind of tingle. And after I use the same one over and over again, it doesn't tingle anymore. So I have to go search for other thing. And, and her boyfriend's like, yeah, that's porn. You're, you're watching porn. <laughs> that's, you know, like, and I know it's going to sound like porn, but it's not porn. And so there is some parallel to that sort of like searching for the thing that sort of like is a satisfying part that that is somehow basal to your existence you know like you need a uh, specific brain chemical and this is how you get it yeah yeah and (laughs) and so i i get that i i guess my use of oddly satisfying is a little more casual like i don't really search it out for that thing it just sort of comes up but there's no denying that there's something about that feeling which is about that sort of search for a kind of satisfaction you know and it can be kind of a preoccupation in, in that way yeah and going all the way back to con law uh video is oddly satisfying well you know it when you see it so exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> that was the subreddit oddly satisfying which you can find at reddit.com slash r slash oddly satisfying 
Roman, before we go, let's make sure that listeners know how to find you online. Where do you want them to follow you? I'm most active on Twitter, but I have to say much less so than I used to be, at Roman Mars. I have an Instagram account, at the Roman Mars, and that's about it. I mean, but mostly I want you to listen to the show, or the two shows, 99% Invisible and what Roman Mars can learn about con law. I have the luxury of being a broadcaster, so like I get to save my piece to a million people a week you know like <laughs> just by virtue of like having a show so i don't use social media as much i i have uh, i have that privilege so and you can follow me on twitter at hey hey esj if you like this episode then check out the past follow friday interviews with rishi kish here from song exploder dallas taylor from Twenty Thousand hertz and avery truffleman the first ever guest on this show who is a producer emeritus of 99 percent invisible Follow Friday is a production of lightningpod.fm. Our theme music was written by me and performed by Yona Marie. Our show art was illustrated by Dodie Hermerwan, and our social media producer is Sydney Grodin. Special thanks to our Big Fry Patreon backers, John and Justin. That's all for this week. This is Eric Johnson reminding you to talk about people behind their backs. And when you do, say something nice. I'll see you next Friday.